Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, the Lord's spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruits in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. And now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that will be your portion again today in the name of Jesus. Amen. The word will enter your heart. Amen. It will give you light. Amen. It will give you direction. Amen. It will heal you in every area. Amen. And it will make you more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Please can I just greet somebody on your left and your right? Bless the person. Tell the person the Lord will bless you today. A word, a bread from heaven is coming to you. Tell the person, get ready, get ready, get ready. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. All right, let's quickly open our Bibles. We are going to continue again what we began to talk about last time. Neither Momo Yi, we call this series. And um, it's not going to be a very long one because we are coming to the end of the year, as we know. But let's see what the Lord wants us to hear from this. Let's start again today from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read two portions to start. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we read. I may actually back up of the, from, uh, that a bit. Then we'll read something else. Now, please, can I just back up slightly to chapter 9? I will start from verse 1 of chapter 9. That will appear far, but I will jump quite a number of verses, but I will still get the sense out of the whole thing out, and they will be able to get to the thing we want to say. He said, am I not free? Now, please, again, I want to go to chapter 8. I hope it's okay. <laughs> In chapter 8, Paul was saying that we know idols are nothing, but even though they are nothing and we have that knowledge, sometimes we will not use the knowledge we have, we step a little lower so as to be a blessing to other people. Do you understand? So he said in verse 13 of chapter 8, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That is, even though it's my right to eat, but because I want to be a blessing, I will let go of my right. In fact, Paul says something at the beginning, that you see, even though you have all knowledge, your knowledge is not important if love is not your guiding principle for life. He said that in the beginning of that chapter 8. So now in chapter 9, he now says, okay, I won't eat because of somebody else. Are you now saying I'm, I'm not free? That's verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least to you, at least I am an apostle. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. That you are the proof. Okay? Now, so he now went ahead to say, look, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Remember, am I not free? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that is Peter, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working, what we call secular work, to sustain himself? He said, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? They went ahead to explain the biblical foundation for what he was saying from the law. 
And then he now said, verse 15, But I have used none of these things, because they had the right to be supported. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. That is, I'm not now trying to take advantage of my rights. That's not why I'm writing all of these things. He said, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That is, I have been called to preach it. I must preach it. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. Now, but if I, if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. This is a bit confusing. I will explain it. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge. He said, that is my reward. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is what I do. That is, this is when I get a reward. When I go beyond that which is commanded of me. That all God commanded of me, Paul, was to preach the gospel. That was my calling. My calling did not say I should preach it free of charge. Did you hear what I said? Paul said what was compulsory? Preach the gospel. Said a person who organized the gospel said, those who preach it should eat by it. Let me tell you what it means. It means at the end of the service, after preaching here for two hours, I will put a basket at the back. I said, those who want to give to the pastor for today, and all those who miss along with him, please put an offering there. That is, you should, according to what you have. Paul said, but we don't bother to do that. He said, the person who sent me did not say I should do it the way I'm doing it. What he said I must do is to preach the gospel. Now, of my own accord, I go beyond that which is commanded because I want to get certain results. I don't just want to preach the gospel and say I have preached the gospel. I want to preach it and make sure that it has effect. Because listen, Paul plants Apollo's waters. Each man is giving what? A reward according to his labor, not according to his result. So if I preach the gospel and it gets no result, it's none of my business. I have preached the gospel. That was what I was called to do. Please, I hope you are getting the principle here. Okay? He said, however, going beyond that, there is love working in me. And because of that, I am concerned personally. It's my own personal concern. I want to be sure this gospel has effect. So I look for anything along the line that might reduce the effect of the gospel and I remove it. So that's what he was saying. Do I have a reward? Yes. What is my reward? What is it that I'm doing beyond the ordinary? And that is that I am offering it totally free of charge. And why am I doing this? You see where I'm going in this teaching. You'll see in the moment. Just try and follow me. He said, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I may win more. That's not part of my assignment. My assignment is what? Preach the gospel. Now I'm carrying it further. Now I'm not going against the assignment. I'm doing what I can to push that assignment further. Even though my primary calling, of which nobody will complain if I don't do what I'm doing right now, my primary calling is preach the gospel. He said, so I am free from all men. But I have made myself a slave to all, that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew, and all of that. To those under the law, I behaved like I was under the law. To, without the, to those without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but being under the law of Christ. Why? Because I want my gospel to have effect in their lives. That I may win those who are without the law. He said, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Now, verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? He said, run in such a way that you may win. 
Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. In our time to chapter 10, where we were reading before, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Nor, he said, I'm jumping now to save time. Now let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Now let us try the Lord as some did. Nor grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the destroyer. The destroyer. Now I said in verse 13, verse 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, that is to bear. But with the temptation, we provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. That's verse 14. Let me just stop reading it there. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now, I want to read one other scripture, okay, just to quickly... That's from the book of Hebrews. I'll get, we'll get back to this in a moment. Let's really to go to the book of Hebrews chapter chapter 2. Let me just be sure that's the one I'm looking for. And there are two portions in my head jamming. Okay, chapter 12. The one I want is chapter... Well, there's one in 2, one in 12. Should we read both of them? Okay, let's read the one in 2, and then we'll now go to the one in 12. Verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention. Of course, we'll start from chapter 1. Talking about um, Jesus being better than the angels and all of that. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Please bear that in mind, drift, that it will slowly walk away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various gifts, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Various miracles, sorry. And by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Please, one more, Hebrews chapter 12. Then we'll um, start um, commenting. He said, therefore, now anytime you see the word therefore, it shows it's following something. That is, in chapter 11, we see the, what was it called again? The Hall of Fame, that is, the faith, the, those who are, what's that word I'm looking for now? Witnesses, yes, that's what I'm looking for. You see those who are witnesses, what that means, some say they are watching us, 
I'm not saying that's not true, but what the Bible says, what I really understand, is that they have walked the path of faith, and they have set examples for us to walk by. That's what it means by the fact that they are witnesses. All right? It now says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. That's why I'm, re- why I'm reading this. Chapter 2 says, we can easily sleep away. Let's be careful. Here it says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin we so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance this race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me just stop reading here so we can start um, teaching. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Peter also said something. Second Peter, I don't want to, I don't want to open to it now, chapter three. He said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. He said, be careful that you do not sleep, you know, through the errors of unprinciplined men that you are carried away. He said, be very careful. He said, what are you supposed to do? He said that in chapter eight, verse 18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. It's very important. So bear that in mind. We'll, we'll refer to it later. I just want to open it now so as to save time. Now, the Lord is good. Are you asleep? The Lord is good. The Lord is good. All right. Now, let me go into what I want to explain to us today. Continue from what, um, that, of course, we began last time talking about neither Momoyi. Now, what we said last time is that Christians must remember, that was the thing I spent most of the time on, should remember to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? There are many meanings, but basically what it means is to be afraid. What it means is to tremble. That's it. Look, let's not... He said, look, when you come to the presence of your father, you don't just tremble. There are two sides to God. Not just two sides. There are many sides. There is a side in which it's just a father that wants to hug you, but it's also a judge. And then, listen, I, I don't know about you. Even if you've not done it, even if you are innocent, you understand? Once they carry you to court or police comes to pay you a visit, there's a kind of trembling, it's trembling in your heart. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Even though you are sure that you are innocent, there's a kind of trembling. Why? Because the person you are appearing before, like a judge, you know the powers that he has. You know. For that reason, you're just a local. I hope there's no mistake I made somewhere. I hope I did everything right. That's what is called fear. That is what is called fear. It is a sign of, it's a result of recognition. You understand the power of a judge, the person you are going to appear before. And the Bible says clearly, we are, we must all appear before whom? What? The judgment seat of Christ. Alright, so that's the meaning of the word fear. Okay? Now, there are different sides to God, but you know, many times when we are preaching, especially when we want to do New Testament faith, grace teaching, we tend to focus so much on that father's side. But that is, that is not all there is to him. If you go and read the book of Revelation, you see when Jesus appeared, he did not appear like a father figure. He appeared like as a Lord. Bear that in mind. He appeared as what? A Lord. He appeared as a Lord. He appeared as a judge. And it, Peter told us, he said he's, he's, a, he's a God-appointed judge of the living and the dead. That is why you must fear. No matter how much God loves you, he will not throw away his position as judge just because he's your father. Think about it. Let us assume now that you, you committed a crime on the road, traffic offense, and you have to appear before the magistrate. And your father is a magistrate, but he didn't know you. You were taking every traffic offender that day before him. Once they bring you in, over speeding, you know, drunk driving, whatever be the offense, 
He will not resign from this bench just because, ah, this is my son. No. He will not resign from the bench. No, he's not going to do that. He cannot do that. He will listen to the evidence, decide whether you are guilty or innocent, pass the appropriate judgment, which usually will be a fine. Then he will go behind, write a check, and pay your fine. Do you follow my point? That's the best he can do. But he will find you. He won't say, because, you know, you are my son, I will not judge. He has to judge. Some judges will do that, but they are said to be unjust. They are unrighteous judges. But Abraham said concerning God, he's the judge of the whole earth, and he will always do right. And that's the meaning of fear. That is the genesis of fear. You know, people say, you know, you don't fear God the way you fear a rattlesnake. That is true, because you have a knife. To kill a rattlesnake. A rattlesnake is not a judge. I hope you're getting my point. You know, sometimes when we want to you know, draw analogies in scripture, we have to be careful. We're not saying fear God the way you fear a rattlesnake. We say fear God the way you fear a judge. That's what it is. You will appear before him. And there are two kinds, well, yeah, two kinds of appearances. There's a daily appearance and there's a final appearance. There's a periodic appearance, and there's a final appearance. There's one in which the whole universe will stand, and each will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The bema of Christ, the Bible calls it, that's Greek. We all appear to give account for what we did with our lives. But there's an appearance we appear concerning him before him every day. Let me explain. Exodus chapter 4, God called Moses. And as he was going, he had to appear before the judgment seat. And the judgment seat said he will die and not live. Why? Because of refusal to circumcise his son. That's what judges do. That's what I mean by daily judge appearance. There was a time Abimelech took Abraham's wife. And he appeared before that judgment seat again. And God said, this is the judgment. You have time to repent. What did I do wrong? You took a man's wife. I hope you're getting my point. Every day, our lives are in stages. Life is in stages. That is, in one particular stage, there are certain judgments you are going to face to be able to move to the next. Paul said, because he found me faithful, he committed to me a ministry. When he said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, you must understand something. There are two statements there, or two important issues there. One, sonship. Okay? That is, this is the person I, what's the English now? I begat. Anyway, my offspring, that's one side to it, okay? But there is this beloved. It's not just based on relationship. It's based on experience in that particular context. He said, in whom I'm well pleased. That's what I'm trying to say, that beloved and well pleased. Okay, let me, let's stick with the one well pleased. When you use the word well pleased, it is not that I just like him. Please, let's get that point. It's not that I just like him. It is that I have tested him. Do you follow my point? I have tested him. He has been through my school I have administered my examination, and he has passed it very well. So this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. That well-pleasing issue is a result of experience. It was not declared the day he was born physically. It was declared at the age of 30, having passed through life. If you listen to our experience, our series that time, there was one we did. Okay, I, I took different ones, different times. Like the one I was talking about Moses. I explained something that while we're looking at the life of Moses, that Moses is not our hero. We like Moses anyway, but that's not our ultimate. Our ultimate is whom? Jesus Christ, all right? The Bible says that looking unto Jesus, 
the author and the perfecter of faith. Not Moses. But why were we studying Moses? Why do we take time along the line to look at the life of Joseph? Why do we take time along the line to look at the life of David? It's because we realize that nothing much was said about the life of Jesus from after he was born. We know his father and as Mary and Joseph took him somewhere. And at the age of 12, we heard what happened in the temple. And nothing again was heard about him in the account of the scriptures until he was about 30 years of age. Why? The Bible forgot to mention it? No. I'll tell you. It's simple. Because everything was summarized in one statement. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I want to call him the author and finisher of faith. None of those men before him was perfect. None. But there was something perfect in each person. The love of God was kind of perfect in the heart of David. I hope you're getting my point. Faith was perfect, kind of, in the heart of Abraham. Faithfulness, you will find perfect in the life of Joseph. There was nothing recorded negative about the man Joseph in the Bible. Nothing. There's a reason for all of these things. So all those things, those characteristics you find in the lives of these people, they were actually snippets, examples of things that, to, that, that were to be found in the life of the man, Jesus Christ. I hope, I hope I get my point. So there was no need to repeat them. If you want to know about faithfulness, go and read the story of Joseph and know it was found in Jesus. Do you get my point? If you want to talk about boldness of faith and all of that in the life of Jesus, go and read the story of David. You will find it there. If you want to talk about faith, go and read the story that everything he demonstrated up to the age of 30. Go and read the story of Abraham. You will find it there. Read the story of Isaiah. There is some, every single person that God said something positive about was reflecting something about the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says this, he uses the expression, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Every single character trait had been tested in him. That was what God was telling us. So that's what, that's what I mean by judgment. So when he stood that day, God said, I have passed my judgment concerning him. I have analyzed him. And God does that to us every day. Like I said, why was um, uh, the, the dynasty of Nebuchadnezzar removed when his son was on the throne? He said, you have been weighed on what? A scale, and you have been found wanting. Let's go back to the story of David, when David was chosen, instead of his seven brothers. Okay? Now, remember we discussed this, that the Bible says to us, now we don't want to read that one, now the story in Samuel, but of course we all know the story, we all know it from even elementary Bible knowledge. We know that God rejected Saul. He said to Samuel, how long will you continue to mourn for Saul? Fill your horn with oil, and then you go and anoint for me a king. And he sent him to the house of Jesse. And when he got to the house of Jesse, he said, where are your sons? And then he did the most, no, pardon me to use the expression, he did the most ridiculous thing. God, did you not know who you sent Samuel to go and anoint? So he left Samuel in the dark. And he allows, look, listen, God was alive. He may have told Samuel, hey, hey, wait, wait, don't waste my time, don't waste my time. We have things to do in heaven here. All right? Jump is not number one. Not, just go to number eight. Ask him for number eight. Pour the, the oil and let's go. I have other things to do. He made Samuel sit down. Kept this guy in the dark. And Samuel said, okay, let's do the judgment since God did not tell us anything. Eliab, strong man. A king that time was a warrior. And this guy looked like a warrior. So surely the Lord's anointed before him. And God said, good. I'm happy you made that mistake. You know, to let you know God was there. He allowed him to make the mistake each time. What was he teaching us? All these things were recorded for our learning. 
they were recorded for our admonition. We upon whom the end of the age has come. What was he telling us? You see the way Samuel sat down and was analyzing everybody? That was how I analyzed every man in Israel until I got to David. I did not start in the house of Judah. I started in the house of Reuben as an example. I went to Simeon's family. I tried the Levites. Are you getting my point? I did not find a man after my heart. When I got to the house of Jesse, I started again from his oldest son. I'm talking about judgment. God judging on a daily basis. That's what I'm talking about today. God judging on a daily basis. I sat him there. I looked at him. And I found Eliab wanting. Then I went to his younger brother. I found him wanting. And I went through all of them, found every single one of them wanting, until I got to David. That was why I told you, I have found in David a man after my heart. I went to David. That is, I went to all of them until I got to David, until I found what I was looking for. I have found in David a man after my own heart, who will do all my desires. That is, I wouldn't have wasted time if I did not think Eliab should have qualified or could have qualified. I hope you're getting my point here. There's a demonstration. The Bible, there's something the Bible calls the demonstration of his righteousness. God knows what he's doing, but he also has to demonstrate it for us to know his too. Because he's teaching us his ways. He's teaching us his will. He wants us to reason the way he reasons. So he says, I look at the heart. I don't look outside. Learn that one today, Samuel. I hope you're getting my point here. Why am I talking about that? So you see that each person appeared before that judgment seat. I'm talking about the daily one, the periodic one, not the final one. Every day. So Eliab was there, he failed. Somebody say, let us fear. No, say it like you are here. Tell your neighbor, fear. Ask him, fear what? Now look at me. Fear failing at that judgment seat that comes periodically. That's what I'm talking about. People fail on a daily basis. People want billion careers. God said, before you get it, sit down. Oh, no, not sit down. Let me, end, let me sit. Because the judge will sit. So you climb his seat and sit down. Stand there. Why should I give you that brilliant career? And many fail. Physically, they will struggle and struggle and struggle. But in the spirit, they failed. So they will gather he will scatter. It's not as if God has the time to be scattered. You know, he has pronounced a judgment. He can't have it. Tell your neighbor, fear. fear. I said something. Grace does not make all your nonsense go free. Grace does two things for you. He teaches you what is right and gives you the power to do it. That was why he said, the Lord may have come by Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus. What grace does, what Jesus does is that he gives you the knowledge of what is right and gives you the power to do it. Because Paul said, I may have had the knowledge of what is right, but to do it was a problem. Grace said, I will help you do it. One of the things I've learned about grace, sometimes I want to do something, it's a struggle for me. I just open my mouth. And that's what the Bible means when it says, draw near to the throne of grace. Are you getting my point? You obtain mercy and find what? And find what? Grace to help. Grace to help in the time of need. That is, there are times you want to do something, you can't do it. I've learned to just engage my mouth. I just utter what, that is, my flesh is not cooperating. I just utter what the word of God says. 
And I declare my desire to God according to what his word has spoken. And I leave his power to do the rest. And I find myself all the time doing what is right. The knowledge of what is right alone is not all you need. You need the power to do that which is right. Having had the knowledge of that which is right. Let's understand this grace. People make it look as grace. No, favor is not fair. Grace is favor. It doesn't mean I may not deserve it. But I'm going to get it. Because Jesus paid for it. Hallelujah. Let us explain it properly. When you say you may not deserve it, we know what it means. It means that humanly speaking, a colleague of mine, you know, one of my classmates actually, he sent, I read some of the messages he sent to our classmates today. And he described that he did not tell us ahead, but he just wants us to know that he ran for vice chancellor of um, one university, one of the federal universities. So he ran for, he contended for as VC, one of those universities, and that he did not, of course, he didn't win. We know who's, who was appointed. He was not telling us how difficult it was, you understand? Just giving us a breakdown. And how, <laughs> naturally speaking, he could not have done it. Now, he did very well. He said he impressed them you know, in the oral interview. He said, but if you see the kind of things they checked. <laughs> if you hear this, my colleague's qualifications. You, in fact, one of my classmates said, reading this, your qualifications, I am afraid. They disqualified him on a few points. But everything else he had, he did not qualify. By human standards. But we have explained it here before. By faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. So the things that we see did not come out of things that are visible. All of these things he said, immediately I read it, I said, that's not why. The truth is that in heaven God said no. For whatever reason, he said no. What will surprise many people is that next time, maybe the next time they want to appoint another vice chancellor, they will catch some, they will appoint somebody far less humanly speaking qualified than him. I will not say that time it was tribalism. We'll look for another story to tell. Why? Because we have no understanding. And without faith, you can't have understanding. The Bible says, by faith, we understand. That is the meaning of favor is not fair. But as per when you stand in the front of God, in his own judgment seat, he is very fair. I hope you're getting my point here. He has his ways of calculating. He does. He will say, hey, prodigal son, you two want to be promoted. The last money we gave you, what did you do with it? You went and spent it on riotous living. What do I look like? I will put you in charge of what? No. As I live, you will not get there. But what if the prodigal son had come back home? Uh The story is different now. The story is different now. He will now say, this is your brother that was dead, has now begun to live. That's New American Standard Bible for you. What does that tell me? This is my understanding. He's not fully alive yet. He's back home. Listen, don't think God took all the years that he ran away and suddenly equated him with his older brother. No. All they did that, they, they gave him a celebration as somebody that was just born. Did you hear what I said? That celebration is that he was dead. Now he's alive. If you think the father would never say, come, come now, you're my son. Come and be in charge of this, our farms. No, he, that father would never do it. Forgiveness does not give you experience. Do you know what I said? The fact that you have been forgiven does not mean you now have experience. What forgiveness does is to clean it. Clean the slate very well. Say now begin to write good things on it. So you now begin to write. You now begin to learn. So that prodigal son will have sat home 
and showed his, listen, a lot of people have talked down on that older brother. They don't understand the message of Jesus Christ in there. Listen, the, your older brother reacted like a human being. And his father gave him understanding. But there was something we missed. He said, everything that I have is yours. Now, what we don't realize, you know, because of our own fleshly thing, we keep on saying that he had the right to ask for goats. He had the right to ask for cow all this while. It was not food that was his problem. Why he complained was that my father doesn't seem to appreciate me. So he had the right to have asked. Hey, you, you thought he was not eating? He was eating, but he was like concerned about, listen, ah, why would my father do this? Yet, all this while, I have been here, Listen to what he said. Neither did I ever transgress any of your commandments. That is a true sign of sonship. The father said, relax. We are, only, we are not celebrating because he's better than you. We are celebrating that a dead man has begun to live. Why are you, why are you, why are you getting angry? You I have with me always. Alive. You've always been alive. Say, so don't worry. Everything that I have is yours. There's no need to celebrate. What are we celebrating? But the dead man has come back to life. Oh boy, join the party. <laughs> what are we trying to explain here? That what God was saying is this. Listen. This your brother has begun to live. That's how my Bible puts it. New American Standard. Has begun to live. Now, he will learn to go out. Now, see those things that were obstructing his eyes before. They have cleared now. He has discovered what, Solo, what he could have read from Solomon. Vanity upon Vanity. All his vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. He chased after the wind. Shake his back now. I could have stopped him from going. But if I stop him from going, he will stay here grumbling every day. So let him go. Now he's back to know there's nothing out there. For, but for him to be a ruler, listen. God will say, listen. Mina, one, go and do business. Then he will come back and say, Father, your Mina has made five more. He said, good boy. Now, be in charge of five cities. I want to say, God is not, a favor is not fair. Let's get where the fairness is. Fairness is with human standards. With God, it is very fair. I have found in David a man after my heart. So I made him king. Paul said, he found me faithful. He gave me a ministry. I hope you're getting my point here. Turn to your neighbor again say, Fear. Turn to that neighbor. Say fear. fear. Ask. Fear what? Fear. Remember, the answer is fear failing the day of God's judgment. That's what we are talking about. Fear failing. I wish Christians would understand it. For those Christians who are out there say, I need money. You don't. Hey, I pray you get the point. When you change that receipt, it is not whether federal government, EFCC catches you or not. That's not the question. Is next time they want to, they place you before God's judgment seat. You will see your PhD will mean nothing. The PhD we have with man will mean nothing. Why? Because the accuser will come and say, look at the receipt. Ordinary money we gave him is changing receipt. No panel will know about that. But God, the Bible says that everything is open before the eyes of him whom we have to do. He can see every single thing. That is why we fear. That is the fear we are talking about. You know, you know when we don't understand scripture, we just turn everything upside down. So you, can't, you don't fear God the way you fear a rattlesnake. You fear God. He's a loving father. A loving father is not what we are talking about. A just judge is what we are discussing. A just judge is what we are discussing. 
is not all father. There is a judge part of him. There is a judge part of him. People often forget that. So they live carelessly. They are very careless in their living. Not realizing that these things are accumulating. We may get there, but you know, it's said in Revelations, books were opened. Another book was opened. Now, I said the, ju- the dead were judged according to the things written in the books. Uh-uh. What if the works did not count? People think that you just go to heaven and everybody does on the same level. It's not true. If the works did not count, why was Paul, you know, say, I finished my course. I did everything I was supposed to do, I finished it. When we're talking about things not being fair, let's get it clear. God means, listen, people will go out in the morning, struggle morning, afternoon, and night, and make money, build businesses. You'll be somewhere where he kept you. You did not build a kingdom, nothing. He went ahead to take a kingdom by himself. They will return and say, listen, I gave you something small. I gave something to daddy. What was it? Mina, okay, what did you do with it? Oh, uh, master, your mina has made 10 more. He said, good. Now come, be in charge of 10 cities. You did not get the 10 cities with your own energy. But you have to qualify to be in charge. According to his standards. So that's why the Bible says that this is our desire. We want to be found pleasing to him. When he said, this is my beloved son in whom I will please. Listen to me. The time he and somebody had a disagreement, how did he judge it? That How did Jesus handle it? Was it pleasing to God or not pleasing to God? Once we had a discussion, one brother asked a question. The question had to do with something that the Bible could not have spoken about on <laughs> you know, like, like computer programming. You understand my point? They were not programming computers. You know, so the, of course, the Bible was not overt about it. All right? So, we had a long discussion. He now said something at the end of the day, which just got me angry with him. He said, thank you for the discussion. You have not answered my question. Is this a sin or is not a sin? I said, oh, you are still on that level? Or trying to have everything written in black and white? I said, my brother, this is how we handle God. Will this be pleasing to him or it will not be pleasing to him? That's the discussion. Because we want to use the word sin. Thou shalt not smoke. You've heard that people say that uh, a cigarette smoking is a sin. I'm one of those that say no. Where the Bible says it's a sin? You see where your Bible says it's a sin? When you ask that question, when you ask me, is it a sin? I just wonder, like, what's wrong with you? Are you a Christian, a Muslim, or a pagan? Jumping from here down, is it a sin? Where the Bible write that it is a sin? <laughs> no, it's true. Where the Bible says it's a, it's a sin? Jumping from the second floor. He said, but you may die. No, may. He didn't say, I will die. I'm not trying to die. I just want to just jump and see what will happen. But why don't I do it? Because even though it is lawful, it's not expedient. Why won't I smoke? Because only idiots smoke. And I'm not an idiot. Lighting a stick is not pleasing to God in any way. It's not. Don't argue with me. Is he a sin? It's not a sin. How is he pleasing to God? You're burning his money, frying the temple of the Holy Spirit. They should send you to hell. Don't you think so? No, now fire you, they fight. Go to where the fire does not end. The question we ask all the time is, is it pleasing to God or is it not pleasing? And usually it's easy to answer. Most times in life it's easy to answer. Sometimes you can't answer it. You ask somebody. 
What do you think the Lord will have us do in this particular situation? There's a story I like to tell once in a while to illustrate that. A man came to Larry Bucket. They had a quarrel with disagreement, business disagreement with another believer. So he went to Larry Bucket and asked Larry Bucket what he should do. Now he told Larry Bucket what he wanted to do. That he wanted to sue the brother. This was in America. So that, Larry Bucket said, okay, no problem. So he said when he heard everything the other guy did, he told that brother, I totally agree with you. You have to sue him. You have to sue him for every dollar he has. This is very bad. We must sue him. So that brother was very happy. He got up, was about to leave. So suddenly he stopped him and said, hey, you've heard what I have to say, what I have to say, but I've not told you what the Lord has to say. Someone said, what? Yeah, yeah, let's hear the Lord. Sit down. <laughs> so that brother knew that things were bad. So he opened his Bible and began to read. At the end of the day, he said to him, as much as I agree with you, I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to do. I'm not talking in details about how to handle business disputes. Now, there are so many things about it, okay? All right? But the point is that the issue was, is it pleasing to God or is it not pleasing to God? When someone wants to ask about sin, 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 listen, I tell you, I don't have time for people who are looking for what they can get away with in Christianity. What will I do and still go to heaven? We've passed that stage. We have passed that stage. Please tell your neighbor, we have passed that stage. We have passed the stage of, uh, where did the Bible say I can't dress like this? Where did the Bible say I can't marry two wives? You know, people have said things like that, that I'm not a deacon. But the Bible says a deacon must be a husband of one wife. Do I look like a deacon? Okay, I don't want to be a deacon. So, I have to marry two wives. Like one man, I saw the video. I know many of you saw it. Two wives is the best. I can never advise my son to marry one wife. Say, so we say I love my wife. What if your wife does not love you back in court? <laughs> you have to marry two wives. He says it's expensive. It's difficult. But it's the best. Don't worry. Once you see the cap on his head, you know he's a Muslim. So don't worry about it. So people come, and I've seen it before. People tell me that. Real argument. I am not a deacon. Honestly, if you ask me that kind of thing now, say, can I marry two wives? I say, bros, really? You know what I think? You like a third one? But let's discuss whether we can marry four wives, because really these two will not be enough. That's how I will talk with you. You say, yeah, Pastor Banker agrees. And I will not deny you. Say, but you say you can marry three wives. Say, no, no, I say four. When did I say three? Go and marry your four wives. Listen, one of the things I do these days, eh? God have mercy on me if it is wrong. My wife doesn't like it too much, but I do it. I place people. I don't have time to quarrel with you. I place you. And once I have placed you, I relate with you based on where I have placed you. If I find that the word of God does not matter to you, I will not quarrel with you on like, you need to love, love the word. Wait, 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 wait. I want to say something that will surprise some people. Where did he say Paul pray for people that were not serious? Go and read your Bible. Where? No, when you find it, tell me. He said, when I heard of your faith, I began to pray. If you don't have any faith, Paul doesn't have your time. Because his prayer has to count. I spent one hour praying for people that don't want to love the Lord. Those who are loving the Lord, we need to spend that time to make them love the Lord some more. Go and read what I have said in your Bible. Paul will tell you, when I heard of your faith and your love towards the saint, I began to pray for you. Praying that God, that was when his prayer commenced. 
wasting time on those who don't want to go to heaven. No. Go and read your Bible. So if you come to me and say, eh, why can't I marry two wives? I'll go, bros, why you want to pay dowry for the third one? Dowry for the third. Come and meet me. I will donate some money to you. It's in the Bible like that. Give strong wine to the one who's perishing. No, no, I don't have, look, honestly, you know, there's some things I don't get involved in. Be begging you not to go to hellfire. Those who want to go to heaven, they don't know the road yet. You are now with my time on you? No. I'm sorry, like I said, maybe it's my revelation. Your revelation will be amongst those who will be following people all for 20 years. Do your work. Let me do my own. I place people. I just mark you, say, Mm-mm, this guy is not serious. We'll be friends, though. You know what I mean by friends? We'll talk, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? We'll hug each other, we'll talk. But when we want to discuss deep things, I won't put you in the chat group of deep thinkers. I want to forward deep revelations. I'll just omit you. You know? I write something finished. You just won't get it from me. Because last time me and you talked, we were still arguing on whether it's right to smoke or marry a second wife. You should know me and you. Me and you know they the same category. I'll stay your category. Let me stay my category. That's the point I make. That's why I talk to people later. They say, where did the Bible say we can't marry two wives? Now, for those who are just one, because I know you don't want a second wife. I know. Hmm. Israel, small Israel, looking at me like, sir, please explain. I don't even have any at all. Listen, the Bible did not say only deacons should have one wife. Because if, you, if that was what he said, remember he also said they should have what, a good report outside. He also said they should be able to take care of their own household. He also said that um, they should not be given to wine. So if it was only deacons that, shouldn't have, uh, that should, uh, should have only one wife, it means the rest of the church also should be drunkards. They should have bad reports outside and they should be, give, they should be given to wine and they should not be able to handle their household. He gave standards and said a deacon should be an example for everybody to follow. That was what he was saying. He was not saying having only one wife is for deacons. That is one by one. Number two, he wasn't even talking about counting wives. The literal Greek is this. It should be a man of one woman. He was not counting wives. Polygamy was not a problem in that situation. What he was saying is that he should not be accused of womanizing. He should be a man of one woman. So, if he has one wife, but he has a girlfriend, he's disqualified. So it's not about a husband of one wife. Say, I've not done two, I never paid two dowry. No. That's just by the way. So, we're talking about being serious believers. Every action we take, we want to be sure it's pleasing, pleasing, pleasing to God. That's number one. So we don't have time for, is this a sin? It's not a sin. We ask a different question for those of us who are believers. Will he please God or he will not please God? I gave an example last time, just to illustrate in my life, that there was a time I was, I was very angry. I was so upset. It was my wife that made me angry that day. I can't remember what happened. I just know that if you've been married for as long as I've been married, I know you've been angry too. And if you have never been angry, hmm. Either you are lying, 
or you are dead. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't, let's leave it like that. They okay. In these last few months, have you been angry? <laughs> Why is he smiling like that? You have not been angry. The <laughs> Lord is good. So that day I was angry. But I can't remember exactly what happened. But it happened to be a Saturday. And it happened around 4 o'clock. I remember because I was supposed to be coming to Kingdom World to come and preach. And I was, you know, my spirit was troubled for that reason. I said I was not going to preach. And I was supposed to call. I can't remember what maybe Pastor Okemuti or somebody. That please, I will not be coming for Bible study. Please, I had picked my phone. Then suddenly, the thought dropped in my mind. When God comes at 5.30 to your house, what will you tell him? Is the reason why you're at home. That's all. That was just the thought that dropped in my mind. No, she, she, you will sit at home, Abby. And you know, the Lord goes around. He's checking. He goes around. He will get to your house. And one angel will say, Lord, please come and see your Banky is at home. Say, what time? Is the time that he's supposed to be preaching? So he will come and say, Banky, why are you here? And you're not preaching. The answer I was going to give him was what scared me. Tell your neighbor, Fear. Because the only thing I will have to tell him is that the woman you gave to me upset me and I cannot download the anointing. I knew that that is an answer that deserves judgment for two people. One, I will get my judgment for being so stupid. Unfortunately, let us assume what she did was really wrong. I am her advocate. I am my intercessor. I have turned to an accuser. There are things, listen, if you're, if you're a husband, learn this. I do that a lot. When my wife annoys me on something, I just pray for her. I'm serious. Though. Because everything has judgment. And the judgment will come, will come except there is intercession. So that day I just said, no. Father God, please. I, I quickly, you know, I dressed up in the fear of God. Ah! I pray the people of God will get this point. That's what I call fear. I dressed up and ran down. You see it again. Paul said, I buffet my body. King James says, I put my body under. People say, I, I'm going to fast. I'm going to put my body under. Let me tell you straight. That's not what the Bible is talking about. If you want to fast, fast. That is, when I say fast now, don't eat. But that was not what Paul was talking about. What did Paul say when he said, I'm putting my body under? You see where I'm going? Remember I said, fear. Two things Paul said there. Number one. The average Christian does his duty. You know what Paul said? There is no reward. I don't know whether you got that. Whether at the beginning. He said, if I preach, he said, I was called to preach. Necessity is laid upon me. He said, there is no reward. I don't know whether I get my point. He said, what is my reward? Aha. Uh-huh. They did not say I should do it for free, so I will do it for free. Please. Catch this from the beginning. Those of you who came a little late. Get the message. Go and get this thing from the beginning. When we read that, First Corinthians from 8 to 9 and then down to 10. He said, they didn't say I should do it for free. He said, now, it is not just the fact that he's doing it for free that's the issue. It's that beyond just preaching, 
Paul decided to take it up as a matter of personal, you know, involvement. That this gospel got results. So sometimes, they say, listen, when you get there, you are entitled to your offering. He said, I know. Because, listen, preach your message. That is what you are commanded to do. He said, but beyond preaching my message, how can I help? Uh-huh. How can I show love? Uh-huh. How can I do what I can to make sure the message penetrates? It's not my duty. I have not gone beyond my duty. Paul said, that is one in which I have a reward. Now the reward is not that I have plenty of money give, come back to me. He said, but at least I know I can boast that I'm doing something. He said, but if I do the one that I've been commanded to do, forget it. That's the barest minimum. He said it is the barest minimum. There's a man, I, I read his book. He gave, ah, I've gotten into it. I didn't want to talk about it, but he gave about three or four reasons why he dislikes the, the, the doctrine of tithing. Listen, for, for information, his ministry is teaching rich people how to handle money. So he believes in giving a lot. But he said, you know one thing that he has found out? That a lot of people who pay tithe regularly are self-righteous. That's where I'm going. He said he has found so much self-righteousness in them that they feel that we have done what we are supposed to do. And the way it is preached, the 90% is now yours to do what we like with it. And I'm, I'm in a school of thought. That if you understand the demand. You know what Jesus said? Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. You may say maybe they were hypocrites. No, not all of them. Paul was not a hypocrite. Saul, that is our Paul. He said, as touching the law. What did he say about himself? Blameless. Blameless. So not every Pharisee was a hypocrite. But Jesus looked and said, you're talking righteousness? It has to surpass that of the Pharisees. Let me tell you what he meant. Let me give an example. A Roman soldier had the authority and they had the power to make the, the people of Judah do things. For example, they would say, go with me one mile. What that meant was I carry my load for one mile. Jesus said he demanded one mile. By his authority. For you to be my disciple, give him a second mile. I hope you're getting my point. That if all you are doing is just do your duty, Paul said, I have no reward. You see where I'm going, no? I've not reached there yet, though. Literally, we are warming up. My warm up so far is to let you know that we are not, we are not doing joking Christianity. Can I smoke? Bros, if you want to smoke, smoke. It's your problem. You, you are the one that will get lung cancer. You are the one that will not visit my house again. I won't let my children talk to you. They're a bad influence. But I will not argue with you. Because I don't have time. That's just my logical. There are people that have time. They'll be begging you, bro, don't smoke now. Don't smoke now, you may die. No, no, they, they have the time. <laughs> I just don't have it. I believe that let's deal with serious Christians. What I'm not looking for, what can we do and still go to heaven? Who are looking for what are we going to do that we please the Father? Don't forget, we're reading about Solomon in that in Chronicles chapter one. Solomon, listen to this. He could have asked for riches, and God would have given him. He could have asked for long life, God would have given him. He could have asked for the lives of his enemies, 
God will have given him. He could have asked for honor. God will have given him. God said, what do you want me to do for you? But Solomon said, if I ask, and I'm adding words to it now, if I ask for these things, I have no reward. Let me ask for something that is beyond the ordinary. It is a beyond the ordinary people I'm talking about, I'm talking to. People who realize that this life, God is looking for those who are beyond the ordinary. That's what I'm preaching to this evening. Those who are ready to walk with God beyond the ordinary. When the Bible says, Enoch walked with God and he was not. That's what I'm talking about. They are the ones I'm talking to. They are the ones I'm talking to. They are, I mean, people who have said, no, this Christianity, you know, it's not you know, I like one thing this man said once. Was it? it was talking another dimension, which I'm not going into. It was talking about the power of God manifesting in our everyday life. But he said something. He said some people think they are Christians because they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't womanize. He said, okay. He said, how are you better than the crab? He said, an old Christian went to the seashore one day, and he saw a crab, no, a lobster. He said, lobster, do you smoke? Lobster said, no. Do you drink? The lobster said no. He said, do you humanize? Lobster said no. He said, oh, meet another lobster. <laughs> okay. I shake hands. You are both lobsters. If you are defining your life by I don't do this, I do that's, It was John G. Lake. I was explaining something. And that's what I'm preaching today. Listen to me. As believers, number one, tell your neighbor again, fear. fear. That's the first point we made. Fear. What are we fear? What is the fear about? Each day people stand before God's judgment seat. Many people are failing on a daily basis. They are failing because of their actions. God weighs them. They are wanting. Many people are falling short. When Paul said, I put my body under, that's what he was saying. That I don't want to be set aside. There was something that Paul said, I need to continue explaining that. We're reading Paul earlier, okay? So I just want to go back to something that we said, which is important I explain it as we are going on. Because what I want to explain to Christians, again, like we've been saying, is that please, let's forget that Christianity of trying to do the the barest amount of righteousness, then do, so that, I mean, after accumulating enough righteous um, credit, we cannot live for the flesh. Do you follow my point? Yeah, a lot of Christians do that. We like to do the barest minimum, which was why... um, the man I was telling you about, his name just escaped me now. Remember it, I mentioned that before I go on, and that's as I'm going on. He said, look, a lot of times when they hear the gospel of tithe, tithe so much, it gives them this impression of I have crossed the, I have crossed the barest minimum, and therefore anything I do extra, I, demand, I, I deserve um, some credit. And he says it's so bad. Because many times people are not even doing as much as God wants from them. They're already demanding um, you know, reward. You know, they say that when you have given, when you have paid your tithe, you will now give, then God will now multiply the one that's on top, that the first level just is to, to buy protection. I hope you know that's a joke, all right? Yeah, you should be laughing because I think it's really a joke. Use the first 10% to buy protection from God. You now put um, your reward and now be on top of it. I don't know. You know, we can be very innovative when we want to do some things, yeah. So the man is, <laughs> you know. The man is so angry with that. He said, no, that's not right. That's not right. That you end up giving Christians a wrong sense of, um, a wrong sense of entitlement. Thank you. You know, confidence, a sense of self-righteousness. All right? And the truth is that there's no, let me just, let me digress for a moment, okay? There's no one cap fits all in that thing. When it comes to giving, there's no one cap fits all. 
In fact, that man is the one that explains something which I never knew before until I read it in his book. He said, I used to preach that proportion is what matters because the Bible says that according to what you have. Now, so I, we all interpreted that to mean that it's proportional. So the man who has a million and gives a hundred thousand has given about the same as the person who has um, ten million and gives a million. And as the same person who gave, as the person that gave one hundred million out of a billion, and as the same as the person who gave one hundred naira out of a thousand, because they all did ten um, percent. Or, or the man says something that is not so, and his argument is very very sound. And he picked it from when Jesus actually himself said that this woman has given more than everybody. Why? Because she gave all. What's the answer? All she had to live on. He said the weight of your giving depends on what you have left to live on. When he said that, he shook me. That was a new one for me. He said, listen, the man in today's Nigeria as an example. The man who has 10,000 and gave out 1,000 has what to live on now? 9,000. He said, that fellow, you can't compare to the person who has 10 million and give out 1 million. Because now he has 9 million to live on. And listen, if you have 9 million to live on, you can easily let go of 1 million. And you can easily let go of 5 million. And you can actually easily let go of 9 million. As far as it's concerned, if you have 10 million, you give out 9 million. You have not given as much as the person that has 10,000 and give out 500 naira. Because on that 10,000, he can hardly survive. But on your 1 million, you can survive abundantly. That you are not near as generous as that fellow. I said, look, you can't stop learning in this life. So, look, Bill Gates' wealth is over $100 billion. If he gives out $99 billion, he's still richer than 99.9% of the people on this earth. So the man said, he has not given. Because there's no threat to his survival. Say, you want to know how generous you are? What threat to your survival has your giving produced? If that's not new to you, you know a lot too. <laughs> I, I remember his name. I, I have about three of his books in the house. You know, I have about three. It, it, now, his man speaks only on, his job is to teach rich people. How to handle money kingdom way. That is own ministry. He teaches the rich how to handle inheritance, how to handle, you know, um, uh, what they call it, investment, how to handle giving. That's what he does. If I remember his name I, along the line, I'll mention it. The Lord is good. So, we're looking at Paul, right? So, Paul was saying to believers, listen to this, oh. He said... Chapter 9, chapter 9. Having said the things that he does extra beyond what he was instructed to do, he now said, I do all these things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What was he saying? That is, if I just preach alone, I'm not yet a partaker. But when I go beyond the preaching... And I start doing things that are not exactly my assignment. Not as if I'm leaving my call, but I'm trying to further that call. He said, when I do that, then I become a fellow partaker of that gospel. Now, I want us to read that verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way 
that you may win. What was he trying to say? Run like the fellow who wins. Please, in every analogy in the Bible, please know what they are comparing. Here, Paul was not talking about competition with your neighbor, as if I'll do your neighbor per se. That's not his focus. His focus was on the winning athlete, the personal discipline of the winning athlete. So what I'm going to say is I don't say I have preached more than my other preachers. That's not what he said. What is the discipline, the personal discipline of the winning athlete? You know, many years ago, I read something. They were analyzing the problems of Nigeria as a country, how we have beautiful athletes. I remember the days, okay, this was around, um, I read this many years ago. In fact, the time I really followed the Olympics, I was very young. It was Los Angeles, 84. I followed that Olympics. Every day they would give us the, the review of the day's events on NTA, and I, I followed it. You know, okay, I think I remember the, I think that was when I did the Y, cause I think we were just finished. When did they do Olympics again? What time of the year? Which one is summer? This is Nigeria, my sister. <laughs> it turns summer, summer. July, oh yeah, because I finished, I think, yeah, I don't know why. I just finished um, um, WIAC. So I was jobless. That must have been the reason why. Los Angeles 84. Now, this is where I'm going. Every day we watched it. So I remember the days, I, I remember Nigerian athletes. Those are the ones where, you know, Ion Barbasi, Oliver Orok, those are our weightlifters. Then um, Peter Kuyengoachi was our boxer. We had two boxers. I remember, I've forgotten the name of the second one. Eh? Okuro Dudu, Jerry Okuro Dudu. Thank you very much, Jerry. Ah, you watched it too. <laughs> Jerry Okuro Dudu was our second boxer. Then we had this lineup of um, long-distance runners. Sunday Bada was a long-distance person. But we now had um, two guys doing 100 meters, and two of them got into the finals. Now, I don't know, do you remember that 100 meters sprint? Do you remember their names? No, Chidimo, was he in that one? What's the second guy? We had two guys who got to the finals. So, of course, you know what they call finals? 100 meters finals Olympics. So we expected something. Of course, you know, in Olympics, there are all kinds of, there are all kinds of gold medals. But 100 meters sprint is a different kind of gold medal. It's a unique kind of gold medal. So, we were all waiting, and that day, there were eight people on the lineup, and we came seventh and eighth. <laughs> it was disappointing. It was seventh and eighth we came. I remember, ah, as a young boy that I was, I just left secondary school. In fact, technically, I was in secondary school because we just finished. <laughs> work. Ah, I felt very bad. We were all sad. So they now, they now began to analyze it. Now, this, this is what I'm coming to. So, of course, they now began to analyze how come we're not winning medals. And these are people, and if you see the, the person who got the, 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 the medal, the, the, the gold, you understand? You will see that those guys have probably beaten that speed at a particular point in the year. But I remember what I read that time, and it stuck with me till today. So one guy was now, now analyzing it. And that was the year that this American got four gold medals in track and, field, track and field. What is his name now? Carl Lewis. I remember Carl Lewis. Before the, the match, before the Olympics, we knew Carl Lewis was going to do something. The name Carl Lewis was already ringing 
You know, like if the Holy Spirit is brooding upon it. And Carlis did not disappoint. And Carlis used to do something very funny. He used to run a very slow race in the qualifiers. For example, now, assuming, you know, they do, they do qualifiers. You've already you've qualified for Olympics finals. But when you now come to the finals, you now have different races to qualify for the final. final. So if Carlis is running in one particular race like this, and they need, that race they need three people, he will be number three. He will run and run and run and run. When he's number three, he will slow down and cross the line. If he said this race, only the top two qualifies, he will become number two. He used to be very funny. He had a bit of arrogance to him. When Carlos won the, because he got four gold medals, he got 100 meters alone, he got 200 meters alone, then he was part of the four by 100 meters team, and he got the long jump. The long jump was a funny one. You have three attempts at long jump to get the best one you can. He jumped, he looked at the one he did, and he walked away that they should use that one. <laughs> you don't get the point. The guy did a jump. They measured, he looked at the, the length. So everybody should catch that one. And he walked away. He had two more chances to try and better that one. He didn't bother. I still remember. The guy just looked at it like this. And just moved on. Just went and like, no, okay, guys, all of you catch that one. Catch it if you can. <laughs> and of course, nobody did. Nobody did. That was the Olympics that Carl Lewis collected four gold medals in track and field. The analysis I read afterwards that I'm talking about. So they were not explain that how come our athletes, they do very well. They go for IWAF, they'll do very well. They go for the world championships here and there, they do well. But when they come to Olympics, how come they don't do well? Then somebody was not analyzing, said, oh, you don't understand something. He said, first of all, being fast is not what wins you the Olympics. He said, because these are the eight fastest men on the earth. That the ability of one man compared to the next person is very, that the difference is infinitesimal. That when you get to Olympics final, that you are not here to run races because you have energy. That you have to employ some other things. And that that is where the Nigerians lose out. He said, go and check it. Carlos has not done any major race in the last few months. He started counting and counting it. He said, why? Because it's well-sponsored. He said, but in Nigeria, we run every race available because man must work. He said, now before the main race, you know, God jumps out there that, listen, listen, that, that is not when people win. That's how I told the story of Carlos. Carlos was so good that, I remember it. He didn't use to, that is, once he got to the Olympics, he, said, he just used to run the bare race to qualify for the next round. But the finals, he now, he, he released all the jets opened all the valves, fired up all the cylinders, and left everybody behind. So this man was saying that, listen, that what these guys do, that they don't only run, they also have psychologists who train them. You do, do you know why? Because to win, that's the point, to win in a hundred meters, is, the difference is less than 0.01 second. The winning person may be 9.99 the next person, no, let's, to make it easy, the winning person may be 9.96. The next person to him is 9.97. In fact, when they are crossing the line, they cross all at the same time. I remember, because of stories that came out of her own, Gil Davis, when she won Seoul 88, there was no celebration because 
there was nothing they, that is, they had to play the video frame by frame to declare her the winner. The, that is, the final recorded time for she and second was the same. So you see, because they are the female, so it can be, it can be 10.12, 10 10.12. They recorded the same time. Paul said, in a race, many people run. He said, run as if you are trying to win. You know what that means? You lay aside everything that looks like it's slowing down. Did you see those clothes those guys wear? <laughs> if you know the amount of technology to decide what the material we made of. In the days of the Greeks, they didn't bother. They just threw all the clothes. They said, look, there's no need for technology. <laughs> yes. When Paul was talking, they ran naked. Yeah, these days we can't stand it. <laughs> but really, technically, we are still naked because waiting is it because uh, what is it? Yeah, we are so busy watching the race. Truly, the men are naked. They, they are all naked. What are they wearing? But there's a reason for it. They are not there to show up. They are not on the beach. These people wear the smoothest. One day, I don't know if you know about it. Okay, I'm talking, telling this story because I watched it. The practice for what they call the, the, the downslope skiing. They show one of them practicing in a wind tunnel. Now, the fellow stood on a, you know, they have their skis. So they have these skis inside it, you know, it, it's high tech. And it, it, wind, wind is blowing. And they are measuring the air resistance to show the individual, no, you can't put your, th- now listen to me, I'm not kidding. You can't put your thumb like that. You have to put your thumb this way. Maybe the fellow turns his shoulder and says, your shoulder can't be that way. They were measuring everything. If you put your head this way, they check the change in air resistance. So you will practice how you place your fingers. Placing your knees is a different story, both for survival and for speed. But this one, I remember that he was watching how fingers are placed. Because they hold their, those are sticks on their sides like this. How you hold your stick, where you place your finger. And the fellow will be trained to get the least air resistance. Why? The difference between winning and losing is so tiny. And for those guys, coming second is as bad as not coming at all. Enough of IAAF and Olympics talk. Let's now get down to Paul. Paul said, run like that. Instead of arguing, then the girl said, I can't marry second wife. Ask yourself, how is second wife advancing my call in life? I hope you're getting my point. That if I can't see how it will promote. So, the, even if God says yes, Pastor Kemote, you can marry that second wife. You now go and say, Pastor Banky, please, I have a question for you. How will the second wife improve my efficiency in delivering the gospel? I'll say, You smoke? Say thank you. Say, The Lord said I could marry. You now go back and say, The Lord, could Paul marry? You say yes. Did he take a wife? He said, No. Say, Lord, I don't want. I'm not talking about second now. Paul didn't even take one. See why I told you before when somebody comes to ask me, the girl said we can smoke. You see why I won't answer you. I just feel like, is that what we are discussing now? We are talking that, look, nobody going to run a race, say, where is it written the IWF rules that I can't wear my face cap? You know, your opponents will be very happy. Wear face cap. <laughs> they will hire a lawyer to defend your case. That in fact is freedom of expression. You can wear face cap and neck cap and shoulder cap. Please wear it. Because they know the air resistance has removed you.
from the race. You are coming last. God knows. The devil knows. Everybody knows you are coming last. So the argument is not there. So Paul was saying, listen, listen guys. I run like I want to win. Even though this guy is, you know, he's, he's trampling on my rights. Fighting for my rights. How will he advance the gospel? How will he make me have a reward? Say, I don't know. It will, say, let him have the right. He can have the right. How much is the right that he collected from us? 500,000. Let him have it. Why? We have other things to do. And there was a house I, we used to live in. <laughs> One of my friends, when we had to move that time. So we, we, we had a, no, we could argue on some issues. He just said, look, I remember the statement he made. He said, Pastor Banky, you came to this town to preach, not to fight anybody. That is, forget all this noise. That what's your reason for coming to town? To preach the gospel. Say, so what time will you have to be following anybody, hiring lawyers, stuff like that? Say, please, let's pack, let's pack, let's pack. I remember that final decision was made for that statement. That whether the man is right or wrong is not the point. The point is that, did you come to this town to come and assert your right? No. What did you come to do? You came to preach the gospel. Oh boy, let's find another house. Let's get out of here. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. That is the Christianity me I'm preaching on. And I'm not explaining to people, you know, our main title is what? Neither murmur ye. I'm not sitting on the murmuring thing alone now because today when I was meditating, where do I take this message to? And what came to my heart is, listen, every, now listen to this, every obstruction between the people of God and seeing Christ Jesus clearly and fulfilling the assignment for their lives must be removed. Every obstruction. Every obstruction. Murmuring is one of them. The murmurer is blind. That's a matter of fact. The murmurer is blind. Cannot see. Can't see clearly in the realm of the spirit. Like we saw earlier, Paul says something here. Say, listen, listen, guys, let's get something clear. We are not here arguing knowledge because you see, sometimes Christians want to sit down and argue. Where did God say? Paul said, yes, we are in, if we go and read that portion of the New Living Translation, it's very beautiful. He said, yes, I know you have every knowledge. He said, I know you, ha- you know every single thing. He said, but how does that help us? Chapter 8, New Living Translation. That's from the beginning. He said, now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that, in quote, we have all knowledge about this issue. He said, but why knowledge makes us feel important? It is love that strengthens the church. He said, knowledge makes us feel important. We can argue scripture. We can quote up and down. He said, no, but that's not what we need. It is working in love that really, really gets the answer. He said, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. And I put a note down when I read that. That when God recognizes, you know what he does? What he does? In the wealth of the knowledge you have, he gives you the re- relevant one for the moment. Do you get my point? And my example there is um, Daniel. Because God recognized Daniel. He said, you are a man of high esteem. Remember that. So when he began to pray, God sent him a personal answer and told him, this is what will happen. So Paul was saying here, listen, it is not just having all knowledge. It is having relevant knowledge for God to give you revelation at each point in time. Now I'm saying something here. That when there are things Christians do, and they are blind. They can have all the scripture in their head. Though. That's what I'm going to bring out. They can have all the scripture 
in the head. The head is full. We can, you've memorized, you know, they, they said about the, the, this man that time, recited the whole of the New Testament. Do, do you understand my point? From Genesis to Revelation, recited it word for word. The man knew the Bible. His wife said that's the only thing he knows. That is, that is, he forgets every other thing, but never forgets scripture. That is his book, Bible. Oh, it's not a day's job. There was a time, um, one man, I think is um, um, Lester Sumra, mentioned where he had not slept for 48 hours working on that Bible. But you know the truth? The same man said it is wrong for blacks and whites to mix. Can you believe that? And they gave all the scriptures, knowing Bible, he knows it. But I couldn't understand how he omitted Ephesians chapter 3 in all this knowledge. They had to withdraw it and remove that portion and reprint. That's it. The, current, the current versions don't have it. Do you know why? Knowledge in itself does not help. That's why Paul said it. That what do you go for? Love. Love of God, which is manifested in the love for the brethren. That if you had love, God would know you and he will have told you. This was why I called Paul. This wall of partitioning has been broken down. The curse has been lifted. There is one body. There is one Lord. There is one Father over all. You will have known that. You will have known that. What am I teaching? So every obstruction. Please, let's bear in mind. Every obstruction. And that's what we Christians must fight. Remember, we started by saying, fear God. Please tell your neighbor again, fear. fear. You know what Paul said some, at the time? He said, let us fear. And, and we, should, we should read that one. Well, I assume it's Paul. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1. He said, therefore, let us fear. Everybody read that. One, two. Therefore. Stop there. Read it again. Therefore. One more time. Now notice this. He said, therefore, let us fear. While the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear that any one of you may seem to have come short of it. That verse is what I want. If grace carried you into every, everywhere, would the Bible have written this? No, answer me. What was Paul saying here? That listen, that this true grace does not mean you can't come short of God's plan for your life. What was Paul saying? It is possible for God to prepare a rest for you and you can't enter into it. And personally, these days, that's one of my greatest fears. And I'm not afraid to say it. It's in the Bible. The Bible prescribes that fear. There are decisions I want to make. I say, wait. Is it possible that we'll make this decision and instead of getting a hundredfold, we'll get ninety-nine-fold? You know the truth? That one fold, that, you know, that single one, I don't want to let go of it. I don't know about you. You know, with God, 99% is not good enough. 99% is a compromise. 98% is not good enough. That too should be explained. What we do as believers is that, listen, every day we are driving forward. When we reach 50%, we thank God for 50%, then we walk towards 60. When we reach 60%, we thank God for 60%, we walk towards 70. We walk towards 80 when we reach 90%, we thank God for 90%. I will now say to him, Lord, what will it take to get to 95? We may not get to that 100 immediately, but every day, 
We're adding something. We're adding something. We're adding something. We're adding something. And that's what Paul was trying to explain. That, listen, guys, to get to this level, I can't be here discussing with people on, like I said earlier, where the Bible says I can't marry two wives. For each advance, you understand, it takes self-sacrifice. So that we'll go, we'll, we'll go for a meeting, like Paul was saying. And they'll say that, look, it's our right. This money is our right. And we can write books on it, how it is our right. And Paul said, we agree it's our right. He said, but if we keep on holding on to our right, we'll stop at 95%. But I don't want to lay, let go of 1%. I don't know how much of physics you know, okay? But let me tell you something to you about physics quickly. You know the speed of light is the fastest speed any matter can aim to attain, but even that is not attainable for matter. The reason is because the closer you get to the speed of light, the more energy you need to move closer to it. Did you hear what I said? What am I trying to say? The more we advance with God, the more the demands he makes of us. Otherwise, we are stuck on a particular level. You know, that's why some Christians used to say those that it's wrong to watch television. Let me tell you the truth. If you want to watch television, it's not a sin. But the time will come in your life, you will ask yourself, what is a television? You'll be wondering what it is. See, you, do, you mean you don't watch TV? I do, but I have just not had, I've not had time in three years. So one day you're going to watch, yes. When? when, when soon, soon, soon. They now say that six years after, I, 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 I've watched one news, I, I watched headline news one day. Okay, okay, okay. Say, so, but you don't watch Christian material, so I watch them on my phone occasionally, but I use earphones, you know, stuff like that. So I realize that the time to sit down with flipping channels, suddenly you don't have it anymore. Now, it is not a matter of sin or no sin. I hope you're getting my point here. It is a matter of suddenly my time is so, you know, it's so precious. Thank you. And I'm trying to ensure that I don't lose any bit of my reward. A time comes, somebody will tell you that, please forgive me. Say about what? Before I say, don't bother telling me. Say, if you tell me now, I have to think about you, but I don't have space in my mind to thinking about offenses. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yeah, that is, it, look, it's not as if uh, she don't. No, we're not discussing forgiveness now. I don't even have time to take offense. I don't have time to take offense. Yeah, but what he did was wrong. Okay, please help me go and hear it and forgive him for me. Do you understand? Because me, I have another job to do. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. Listen, that was what Jesus meant when he said, "Listen, guys, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. That's real Christianity. Let me summarize it. Paul was saying, listen, oh, the things I'm doing, I know they are not commanded. They are not express instructions. I've just realized that I cannot be average. I want the full complement of my reward. And his reward, listen, is not like him. Me, I want God to now give me a big car. That's not what it meant. That's not what it meant. I just want to ensure that everything I'm supposed to achieve for God on this earth, I achieve it. I don't want to go into eternity having scored 98%. I won't be happy. I will not be happy. That's what Paul was saying. He said, for that reason, listen to this. I put my body under. What did he mean when he said I put my body under? It means I'm an athlete. If we're running our final race tomorrow, Olympics, we've talked about that Olympics. I know the people on my, we are eight. I'm one, seven other people. All seven can beat me, all. The reason I will be the next person 
It's not just my energy. It's how prepared I am for that race. So the day before, they say, let's go and eat suya. Say, I don't know what they used to mix it. I'm not going. It's like, hey, it has a lot of groundnuts and a lot of uh, this thing in it. And that, ah, that would drain my energy. Paradventure tomorrow, I'll still be digesting it. <laughs> Are you getting my point here? As of today, I'm already watching what I'm eating. Listen, it's not just, uh, is it legal to eat or illegal to eat? No. It is, I must win the race tomorrow. You are getting my point here. I must win that race tomorrow. So every little encumbrance, anything that easily besets, I let go of it. It is not whether it is a sin or not that even looks like it's going to be a distraction. And let me go back to the matter of neither Momoi. Listen to that. I'll end it with this. Many people have used murmuring to forget where God said they should be. Now, all of the I set up to this point is to get to this point. Just a pity that time has run out on us now, all right? So maybe I'll, if God allows, I'll continue from this point next time. There are attitudes you will have that will never let you reap your reward because they blind people. I give to you from general knowledge of scriptures and the mind of God, the way the counsel of God operates. If you are very critical of everything, you can never fulfill your destiny. Because you will walk away from the place of your destiny, you will not know it. Let me quickly say something. One, divine destiny is, t- is tied to geography. Oh, yes. What I mean is this. When God was sent to this earth, he knew where you would go and where will you, not, you will not go. He knew where you belonged and where you don't belong. Listen to me. If he places you somewhere where you belong, and you are full of complaining and whining and grumbling, you will get up and leave that place and he will not quarrel with you. He will let you go. Except that once you leave where he placed you, once you leave where he placed you, no matter how well you do, you can only be second rate in your life, spiritually speaking. Did you hear what I said? I wish I had only single people in the house. I would have preached a 10 minute message for them on marriage. Because there are things you don't preach to marry where married people are. They will start looking at their wives and husbands funny. <laughs> So, let me leave my message till I catch only single people. So, if you want to hear, you can go and have association of single people in Kingdom World and then call me for a meeting. And I'll preach what I want to preach. So, single people can call me. I will come and help you out. Amen? This man wants to hear it too, but it's too late. <laughs> you know, he was scratching his jaw like, oh boy, talk this in now. <laughs> the Lord is good. Listen to me. It's very important what, I, what I'm about to say, or what I'm saying at this point. There are attitudes you have, you will miss your destiny permanently, and there will be no recovery. And this is the point. A lot of people will never know. Because you'll be operating at, you know I said something before. Jesus talked about 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Many Christians are operating 10-fold, and they look fantastic. They look beautiful, and they're admirable. Why? Because most people are on zero-fold. They are one fold, two fold. But you see somebody who managed to get five fold, ten fold, maybe even thirty fold. And the person is out there and it looks like, follow this man. This is how to fold your life. Are you getting my point? <laughs> you know what I mean by that? But not knowing that the Lord is looking at say, this guy, this guy is supposed to be at this point on seventy fold. He's still on thirty one fold. But we don't know it. And that is why as believers we are never satisfied where we are. 
We're always striving. And let me say something again. You know, I was saying it earlier. I, I didn't finish saying it. One of the things, listen, for an, for an average human being, the major problem is sin, iniquity, adultery, fornication, lying, stealing. Listen, that's for an average human being. But for serious Christians, those things are not problems. I'm not saying they are right to. I'm just saying serious Christians leave them behind so long ago, it's not a matter of discussion. Those kinds of iniquity keep Christians on two, four, three, four, four-fold level. I hope I get my point. Now, people who are swimming for 60-fold and diving towards a hundred-fold, what keeps them back is not those sins. What keeps them back are legitimate things they are still involved in. They're not supposed to be involved in. Let me give you an example. Paul may hit 90-fold. God said, I want to go to a hundred-fold. Say, yes, drop all your rights. Did you hear what I said? Your rights is what you will drop to get to 95-fold. From 95 to 100, they say, oh, you want 95 to 100, then you have to endure crucifixion. You didn't sin. You will not suffer for other people's sins. See, the one of, uh, I don't commit sin, say, no, that's, that's why people live from zero fold to half fold. I hope you're getting my point here. People are not going any, oh God, I pray Christians get my point. I pray Christians get my point. Those who are not going anywhere are the ones still arguing with you. On, is it right to have sex before marriage or not? Don't argue. Tell them, go ahead. Give them passports to Thailand. Bangkok. Headquarter of prostitution in the world. Go there. Say, please, I'm not, I don't have your time. I, I don't, are you getting my point? I don't have your time. I'm talking to serious people. I don't have your time. People are still trying to argue with you. Why can't Christians divorce their wives? Say, please, I know a divorce lawyer. Go. I don't have your time. Listen, things that keep Christians down, common sense, keep them on zero level. Okay, let's push it. Maybe tenfold. I don't think any Christian working in this common iniquity can get up to thirtyfold. I just don't think so. Those who break through from those 30-fold levels, that's what I'm talking about, to the 60-fold levels, and are crossing the 60-fold level. Paul said, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. The things that keep them at that 60-fold level, they are things that an average person would think is legitimate. There's a way he or she spends her money. He or he is her money. And God says, your money spending the way you like, but that 60-fold permanently. Paul said, it's my right. Keep it the way I like. But that's 64 permanently. He said, what do I do to go beyond this 64? What are the things that are my right? He listened to them. He said, what do I do? He said, my rights will obstruct the advancement of this gospel. So I let it go. I hope you're getting my point. Normal complaining. You know, there are people, many of us believers, we are not careful. We sit down, analyze government, grumble on a daily basis. Because this is why this boy would never leave this 24 level. If you see, in fact, that's the only issue I had with one of my classmates today. I, I want to tell him that, listen, my brother, and really, God giving me the grace. I want to tell him, say, have you noticed that you're a very negative creature? The person I'm talking about, lives, he lives abroad. My issue is that, why are Christians this jaundiced about life? That when you get to a place, the first thing you see is what is wrong there. And I'm preaching to you today for you to know it's not without its effect. Many of these little attitudes are wiping away 
edges from our destiny and we don't realize it. That's what I'm actually preaching. Everything I set up to here, it just will get us to this point. Then I, hopefully I'll develop this next time. People murmured against, and listen, go and read your Bible. God didn't say they murmured against Moses. Meanwhile, the people were murmuring at Moses. He said they murmured against him. Seriously. That's how I titled the series, Neither Murmur Ye. It's not just murmuring. I will discuss little attitudes that just prevent people from breaking through. Do you know even sadness? A man took your money, you have refused to forget. You'll be surprised. Taking away from your destiny, you just don't realize it. Somebody injured you 15 years ago. It's still pending you till today. I'm commanding you as a believer in Christ Jesus. If the fellow comes to say, I'm sorry, say, sorry about what? He said, that one, I, sorry, I stopped thinking about you five years ago, so forget it. We don't realize, listen, Hagar, Hagar was driven out of the house. And she sat down there crying. And the crying, listen to me, the crying blinded her. And she did not see that God had actually supernaturally positioned her beside the well. There are times you will, nobody's telling you sorry, you will tell yourself sorry. People say, Pele. He said, no, wait, wait. Before you guys came, I had pelled myself. I told myself, weeping me endure for one minute. I have work to do the second minute. I hope you're getting my point. I'm, I'm not waiting. Joy comes in the morning. Joy, you come when you want to come. But this weeping will not endure. Why? I need my eyes clear because every disappointment, God inside it leads you to an opportunity. If you are, so, if you are whining and whining over the disappointment, phew, you will not notice that you are beside a well of water. Let me end it here. But I hope you've gotten my point. I just said all of this to get us to that particular point in, in, in our understanding. That listen, if you want to go far with God in life, you have to learn to not only forsake the things that are obviously evil, but look into the midst of things that may even appear legitimate. And take hold of your life and say, God, oh, I will not be average in this life. Some things are your... Look, listen. There are things you are... Put, oh, Father God, help me. There are desires you have in life. God said, I don't even want you to have a desire. That is, next time you see a wedding gown like that, don't like it. And if I give you money, don't buy it. I command you in Jesus' name, don't buy it. And that's God talking to you. Say, what concerns wedding gown with my destiny? God said, you don't understand some things. I realize that some things are feeding some stupid ideas you know from childhood. And I can't let you carry it into adulthood. To look like a small thing, but that's what I demand of you. That's what I demand of you. They are all, listen, a lot of the gospels we preach these days is consolidated worldliness, which we have now wrapped it with spiritual principles for success. But the people, their eyes are still on the things of this earth. You've heard me say it again and again. This gospel of success, I don't believe a word of it. The Bible says the godly ones of this earth, they are my heroes. They are people who died for their faith. And the Bible calls them heroes. What's their success, materially speaking? Nothing. The only claim to fame is that they were persecuted for the sake of the gospel and we died in the process. It has come to a time when believers will start admiring some things, such things. They need to admire such things. A private jet is fine. Amen? It's a tool. Do you understand my point? It is not a prayer point. It's not one day I'll fly private. I can say it when we are playing. 
but I will never pray about it. Father God, in the name of Jesus, you are moving me to the place where I begin to fly private. God, never. There are statements that don't come from my mouth. Why would it be a prayer point except that you are confused? It's only a prayer point because you are confused. You don't know what life is about. Let me say it again. It is only a prayer point to confuse souls. People can never ask for such things. When you get to that point, I hope you get my point. You, you know, now you are not going anywhere. That is, you are not going anywhere, and it's a prayer point. You are confused. But there are people who get to a certain point in life. They are traveling so for each time, you know. Waiting at the airport is a waste of godly time. I don't know whether you get my point. Waiting at the airport for them is what? A waste of godly time. So what they just say, ah, wait, oh, Father God, this, this is not right, this is not right. Look at this, look at the number of opportunities to do things that we have missed in the last one year. Because we got here, you know, they canceled this, they canceled flights, we slept over. You check it in the last one year, number of hotels I've had to sleep in when I did not, I was not supposed to because of this. And then you look at it, God has been putting you through a kind of financial flow. Suddenly call somebody, what does it cost to get into this particular realm? It, listen, it's not a prayer point. Hey, we don't hammer. It's not hammer. We are walking. I hope you're getting my point here. That as far as you are concerned, you just come to understand, look, that is work. So if somebody starts flying private, you just say, he knows where he's going. He's not richer than you. You are not called in the same direction. I hope you're getting my point. And like I tell you, well, that's why you don't need to tap anybody's anointing. How can you tap my anointing? I, I, no, listen. Have we been sent to do the same thing? Many people are desiring anointing that will confuse them. They won't, they, that is, when you get the anointing finished, they will never fulfill their destiny. Because you go and collect an anointing to be like Pastor Banky. Meanwhile, God wants to be like Nathan Nevasi. So when they give you a microphone to, uh, to sing, you'll be sharing revelation. Then one time, God, you'll slap you like this. Your hair will just bend. Why? Because you collected an anointing that was not your own. Why? Your eyes were set on the wrong, on the wrong parameter for measuring success. I hope you are getting my point. Let's bow down our heads. Let's leave it there. Let's just thank the Lord for opening our eyes. Say, Father, we thank you.